This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Now, coming up later in the hour, I want to get your thoughts regarding the case of Mitchell Miller. He's the 18-year-old star ice hockey player from Ohio who was recently drafted by the Arizona Coyotes of the NHL only to find out that the Coyotes decided to renounce or to rescind their selection of Miller. Now, why would they do that? Well, because Miller has a history, going back to middle school, of bullying a classmate back when they were in eighth grade. Miller was convicted, served a sentence of community service, and has undergone counseling. Regardless, the Coyotes dug deeper into this case and have now decided to let him go. I really can't recall a case like this before where they're tracing back to a kid when he was 14 years old. But I wanted to get your sense of what should happen next. Again, that's coming up later on in the program. But first up, I want to talk about football and quarterbacks. You know, it struck me the other day that when we consider two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, that we often focus so much on their extraordinary accomplishments that Well, sometimes we overlook what they had to go through to get to where they are today. And that is, we all know that in pro sports, well, there's so much attention paid to metrics and to analytics and to scouting and to coaching, and especially so in the NFL and in big-time college football. So the question to me is, if that's all true, how in the world is it possible that two of the greatest QBs of all time, and I'm talking specifically about Tom Brady and Steve Young, how could they have easily slipped through the cracks? Now, of course, Brady and Young are household names these days, but if you turn the clock back to when they were in college, well, an entirely different storyline was being played out back in the day. And I mention this because we as sports parents, coaches, and educators know full well 
Well, there's a real possibility that these are talented. There are talented kids out there, kids who have real dreams, who unfortunately most likely fall between the cracks. And I give you this preamble this morning because my guest is best-selling author Jeff Benedict. Jeff has had the distinction of writing about both Steve Young and Tom Brady. Uh, he was the co-author of Steve's New York Times best-selling memoir, uh, QB, uh, My Life Behind the Spiral. And now Jeff's latest best-selling sports book is The Dynasty, which is a very thorough look at the history of the New England Patriots. And, of course, a lot of that book focuses on Tom Brady. Hey, Jeff, welcome back to the Sports Edge. Hey, good morning, Rick. It's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Well, thank you. Thank you for getting up early. Uh, you know, um, let's start with Tom Brady, or Tommy Brady, as he was known back in San Mateo, California. Uh, when he was growing up, he was, as you mentioned, of course, in the book, he was a multi-talented athlete who was also a premier catcher in baseball. He was drafted in the 18th round by the Montreal Expos. But even in high school, he wasn't, it wasn't like, this isn't the case of a kid who, by the time he was in 8th or ninth grade, was being heralded as a superstar. I mean, in, in the dynasty, you talk about the fact that, well, Brady really didn't, you know, didn't even play much as a freshman. or He, he wasn't seen as a star in the making. He, he spent a lot of time on the bench waiting his turn. He finally got a shot when the kid ahead of him on the depth charge finally just quit the team. Tell us about this background uh, growing up in California as, as, a, as a football player. <laughs> when I... When I was writing the dynasty in the section about Brady's high school years, it actually reminded me a lot of Steve Young's <laughs> high school years yes. in Greenwich. There, there's interesting parallels there. And in Tom's case, um, his football team in San Mateo was actually not a good team. They they were a terrible team. Uh, San Mateo was really known for baseball. Barry Bonds had played there. And, right. And Tom was a great baseball player um, and and could have been a, potentially a professional baseball player, but he really wanted to play football. The team stunk, and he was overlooked and not seen as a quarterback caliber player and um, and he you know as you said he didn't he didn't start he didn't play much, and then eventually he got a shot his sophomore year. Uh, just because the guy who was a quarterback quit the team, mm-hmm. and um, and then in Tom's junior and senior year, the the team really wasn't that good still. Um, but he played a lot. He was a starter those two years, and he performed well. Not well enough for scouts around the country to you know key in on him as somebody who could who could potentially uh, be a good performer in college. But I thought the interesting thing, Rick, from a parenting standpoint during that time is the role of Tom Brady Sr. Um, you know, in his senior year, Tom Jr.'s senior year, his dad uh, made a highlight reel of Brady. And, uh, I mean, this is the days before YouTube and all that, so mm-hmm. you really had to sort of do the hard work of gathering your own clips. And uh, these would have been like VHS tapes. And his dad did that and painstakingly assembled a highlight reel and then together as a father and son they they assembled a list of schools to send this to so they made i don't know 40 copies of this vhs tape and shipped it around the country and um it, you know i thought it's just a great visual image of a father and a son sitting there on one end of the country on the west coast putting together these video highlights thinking of schools to send it to and and it was at the end of that process that michigan was one school that wasn't on that list and um, it was Tom's, Tommy's decision to add Michigan 
thinking that it would not amount to anything, but that was the one school that Tom really wanted to play for. Uh, but he didn't anticipate that they'd even respond. Um, and initially they didn't. And so enough, he, he does surprisingly, I guess, to, uh, to Tommy Brady, uh, gets, a, gets a call and they have him out to Michigan and, and, and we know his father, because you know San Mateo is not far from uh, University of California, Berkeley. You know the dad would have preferred to have, you know Tom stay home so he could go to the games and so on and so forth. But the fact is, he he does go to Michigan, uh, and like and we'll get to Steve Young as well. But there is a parallel because Young went from Greenwich High School uh, out to BYU, and of course found himself uh, ranked eighth on the depth chart as a quarterback. But Brady was ranked as, what, 6th or 7th at Michigan? I mean, it had been clear to him right from the get-go that, I mean, they redshirted him his first year. They were not really looking upon Brady to become this, this uh, superstar uh, in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, again, the parallel there is fascinating because, first of all, you know, who knew that teams have eight quarterbacks? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but that is the interesting thing is, in Brady's case, he wasn't really highly recruited, even though they sent this video highlight reel to all these schools. There were really only a couple of schools that expressed genuine interest. Illinois was one of them, and Brady had taken a recruiting trip uh, to Illinois, and he didn't like it for a number of reasons. One of the biggest ones was the weather. It was cold and blustery and dark and just didn't feel it. Um, at Cal, though, he he liked Cal because it was close to home. The weather was great. He could literally go home on the weekends. Um, his parents and sisters could come and see him play. And and most importantly, probably, Rick, he was going to start there and start rather quickly. And he'd get at least three years as the starter. Michigan was the opposite. Uh, they had a whole platoon of quarterbacks ahead of him, some of them with big names like Greasy. And so, uh, but Tom wanted to go there. That was his dream. He went there. And from the beginning, it just appeared very unlikely that he was actually ever going to get a chance to become the starter. And similarly in Provo, Utah, I mean, the difference there was, you know, Steve, like Tom, was not highly recruited, um, mainly because at Greenwich High School, Steve Young was a running quarterback. They ran the option. Yes. So you had Steve Young running, you know, wild all over the place in Connecticut, but not throwing the ball much. So the only schools that really looked at Steve Young were schools that ran the option, and there aren't many schools that do that. And so he didn't have a lot of offers. Um, he was looking at schools like Army in Virginia. He went to BYU mainly because it was a Mormon college and Steve was a Mormon. But Lavelle Edwards, he really didn't intend to use Steve as a quarterback. He intended to use him as a defensive back because of his speed and athleticism. So Steve found himself in the same position as Tom, eighth on the depth chart, looking up at guys like Jim McMahon and other big-name quarterbacks, thinking he's probably never going to get to play. So in a sense, Steve Young and Tom Brady arrived, respectively, at BYU and Michigan with the same scenario. We're talking with uh, Jeff Benedict, uh, the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Dynasty. That's his most recent best-selling book. And, and again, I, the premise to me in this, Jeff, uh, is the fact that who you got, you're talking about Steve Young and Tom Brady. <laughs> Right. And, I mean, you're telling me that these guys, I mean, were just so far in the depth chart. I remember in, in Young's uh, memoir, you wrote about the fact that, you know, he was a freshman at BYU. I mean, he didn't even dress for the home games, much less go on the road with the team. He just was a regular spectator in the stands. And, that's, and within three, four years, he was now evolved into Steve Young that we know today. 
Tom Brady, you know, every time he got into a game sparingly in Michigan, he did well. But again, there were all these great coaches and great evaluators. It wasn't like anybody was saying, well, this guy is, is going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. And I just find this extraordinary that with all the attention and focus that's paid to coaching and eva- evaluators, that nobody was able to see the, the, the inherent talent or drive or leadership skills that both these, these uh, individuals had. And, and that, to me, is sort of part of the beauty of sport. But the downside, as I mentioned before, is the downside is that some of these, there are a lot of kids out there who probably never blossom like a young or, or, or a Brady. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that, Rick. There, there's a great scene, um, you, you know, in the dynasty, actually, where when Brady's at Michigan, he's been there a couple years now. Uh, he was redshirted his first year, so he's he's been there, you know, two, three years, and he, he's not seeing any action. And his parents would fly out for every home game. You know, they'd fly out from California to, to watch him play, mm-hmm. and they'd make the trek across the country. And, of course, they wouldn't get to see him play because he, he wouldn't end up in the games. And after one of those games uh, out at Ann Arbor, Tom is out in the parking lot sitting in the car with his father, and, you know, he's essentially depressed. And um, he he's acknowledges to his dad, you know, it, it's I'm probably never going to get to play here. And his dad agrees that he probably won't. And his dad reminds him that it's not, first of all, it's not too late to transfer. You could, you could still go to Cal. And keep in mind, if you go to Cal, you're going to start right now. And you'll play. And it's a real temptation for Tom to do that, to just withdraw. And nobody would have criticized him. Nobody would have even known. He wasn't, he wasn't a known commodity at that point. So if Tom Brady had withdrawn and moved, it wouldn't have even made headlines. No, I, he was not, again, to put this in perspective, as you said, just another kid looking to get some playing time in college, not, not a known entity. Nobody knows if, if somehow you know, he transfers back home to near Cal or to go to Cal. Nobody's going to care. It isn't That's like, right. I mean, and, and again, this, this, that scenario you just described of him sitting in the parking lot with his dad and yet after a game in which he did not play in, that has played out literally thousands of times every, every weekend all over the country. Uh, different, different, different families, different kids, happens everywhere. Yeah, and Rick, let me tell you one of the, my favorite moments in, in actually the reporting part uh, of the dynasty. So I'm, when I'm doing interviews and stuff like that, trying to learn the Patriots story, I'll never forget the day that I sat with Tom Brady. I interviewed Tom more than once, but this particular moment that I'm going to recall, we were sitting at Gillette Stadium in the, the luxury box that his family watches the games from. Tom's the only player that has one of those. And that's where we did this interview. And we were sitting there on a day when the stadium was empty. There was no one around, and we were alone in his box. And when we got to this point in the interview where I was asking about the Michigan situation and this moment when he wasn't getting to play and he was thinking about leaving and going back to Cal, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, I, he said, I thought a lot about it, and there was obviously a strong pull to go home and play and be near my family, get out of Michigan. But when my dad flew back home and I, you know, contemplated on my own, he said, I I really felt like I needed to do the hard thing. You know, the hard thing was to stay. Not necessarily the thing I wanted to do, but it, it was the thing I needed to do. And I needed to prove to myself 
that I could make it here. And I, as I was listening to him say these things, I was thinking about what really separated him. And, and I'll draw a line to Steve Young on this in a second. What really separated Tom was this unusual, first of all, this unusual drive to succeed that most athletes, while they might have it greater than other people in their class, once you get in the group of athletes, there's, there's only a few that possess the kind of drive that, that Tom had even at an early age. But secondly, the maturity at that age to recognize the benefit of taking the harder road and, and not necessarily you know, going for what you want the most, which is to play, um, but taking the harder path and staying in Michigan. And we saw how that ultimately did pay off for him. And similarly, I think with Steve Young, you know, because you worked on that book, that Steve Young, when he got to Utah and was eighth on the depth chart and was homesick and everything else, he didn't want to stay out there. He wanted to come home. He wanted to move back east. And, um, you know, he had that same kind of conversation with his dad about walking away from BYU and coming back home and maybe playing at a school like Virginia or Army. And I think when you, when you consider how close both of those guys were to pulling the trigger, so to speak, and getting on the plane and flying in the opposite direction, how different history might have been. And I think the role of their dads in, in sort of helping them through that process and really just standing by them, mm-hmm. not necessarily telling them what to do, mm-hmm. but being there for them as a constant soundboard. I think the support of Tom Brady Sr. and Grit Young, uh, Steve's dad, really had a remarkable role in the ultimate outcome for both guys. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we talk all the time on the show and have for years about the, the influential role that, uh, you know, moms and dads have on their kids in sports. And clearly, uh, you couldn't find two more striking examples of the roles that, uh, in Steve Young's case, with his dad and obviously with Tom Brady and his dad and how both these individuals, you know, as you said, had the somehow inherent or, or learned to deal with adversity and develop a sense of maturity and leadership that allowed them to, to say, okay, I'm going to gut this out. I'm going to stay at BYU in Steve's case. Uh, and in Tom's case, I'm going to stay at Michigan and try to overcome the odds. It, it's it, There are... And in both of these books, uh, the dynasty about the Patriots and obviously QB, you know, uh, my life behind the spiral, you capture this, uh, Jeff, so well that these are critical turning points in these individual lives. And again, from today, Tom Brady, Steve Young, these are superstar quarterbacks. uh, But there was a time, as you said, these were just kids trying to somehow find a way to get into uh, the last few minutes of a game uh, just to show that they, they belonged. It's, it's, it's extraordinary stuff. Jeff, I, I, I wish I could had some more time talking about these books. Uh, I do have to get some more topics, as you know. But, I, uh, friends, I will tell you that if you want to, if you are interested in how in the world – I mean, let me just add this one last story, uh, Jeff, you would, about Belichick when he's looking <laughs> with, 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 with Brady still on the board to be drafted. And Belichick, as you described in the dynasty, he keeps asking, why is Brady still available? What's going on here? Why is, why is nobody taking him so far? <laughs> it was sort of like <laughs> – it's a great moment, right? Because he's looking around the war room at uh, the stadium at the coaches and scouts, and and they're now into like the 150s, 160s, 170s players, 
and Brady was their top-rated guy, but they didn't need a quarterback. Yes. And he, he just, Belichick just figured Brady would be long gone by then, and he kept looking at the other guys going, why is he still on the board? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating look. And again, by this point, of course, Brady had uh, you know, become a star at Michigan. Uh, but to, look at, to listen to Belichick saying, why, we, we like this kid Brady, but what's going on? How come nobody, and I guess we knew that Brady was not, you know, he's 6'4", but wasn't fleet of foot, still isn't. And, and obviously he was never accused of being a bodybuilder, but he had great, great uh, numbers and great leadership at Michigan, and yet he's still available. And finally Brady says, no, I mean, finally Belichick says, let's take him. Let's, let's put this kid on our roster. <laughs> you know, re- real, real quick, Rick, it reminded me, if you recall, when Steve Young got to BYU, his first practice as a quarterback, when he did their first passing drill, he took the snap from the center, who happened to be Bart Oates at the time, who would later <laughs> go to play for the Giants. Of course. Bart Oates snaps the ball to Young. Young backs up, takes the three-step drop, loses his footing, falls down on his butt, fumbles, <laughs> and Bart Oates looks at the other center, Trevor Maidich, who was a backup, and goes, who is this guy? <laughs> and then, and then if you flip to New England, you know, however many years later, Tom Brady's first practice as a rookie comes in, and they're looking at this guy in his khaki shorts and his kind of lumbering look, and Lee Johnson, of all people, who was the punter for the Patriots and was Steve Young's roommate at BYU, Steve, Lee Johnson looks at Tom Brady and then turns to kicker Adam Vinatieri and says, who is this guy? <laughs> It, it, it's almost like you can't make this stuff up. No, it, 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 it's it, it's extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. Jeff, thank thank you for coming on this morning to talk about the you know these these great books and and these great stories of uh, again it just such such inspirational stuff in terms of of Steve Young and, and Tom Brady and what they went through and, and persevered to become who they are today. Again, the dynasty. It's about the Patriots, the history of, of that fine franchise by Jeff Benedict. And again, you can always check out uh, QB uh, about Steve Young, My Life Behind the Spiral. Jeff, thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rick. It's always a pleasure. You bet. Okay, let me, uh, before we get into a break here, I just want to tell you, coming up on the other side, we're going to talk about this curious case of hockey player Mitchell Miller. I want to ask you, what's the right punishment here, or has this kid already served enough punishment, has already paid the price, and was Arizona right to renounce their draft, especially the lie of the fact that they knew in advance about Miller's bad acts before they drafted him? one 337 Back here on the Sports Edge, you know, I came across this very unusual case uh, this past week, and I wanted to get your your reaction to it. And I'm going to take your calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Here's what we know about 18 year old Mitchell Miller, who, by all accounts, is a very talented high school hockey player. He's a defenseman. He was drafted in the recent NHL draft by the Phoenix, I should say, Arizona Coyotes, in the fourth round and was also offered a uh, hockey scholarship by the Powerhouse uh, College University of North Dakota to play there. So it would seem that this kid's dreams were all coming true. But there's a history that trails this teenager from Ohio. According to uh, numerous accounts, when Miller was in middle school, uh, in middle school, he and a friend would routinely pick on, taunt, beat, and bully an African-American kid who was developmentally disabled. Miller, by the way, is white. 
So Miller and his buddy were charged with two misdemeanors, including Ohio's Safe Schools Act, and also charged with assault. Miller and his colleague were sentenced to 25 hours of community service, had to go through counseling, and ordered to, to write an apology to the youngster who was victimized. Again, this, took all, this all took place when Miller was in eighth grade at age 14. And by all accounts, Miller did all this. He went through all the counseling, went through a community service, and, and so on and so forth. But again, there were some really bad and mean-spirited acts that uh, he and his buddy were involved in. So the Coyotes have now renounced their draft selection of Miller, and the University of North Dakota has also withdrawn their scholarship offer. Yeah, he can go to school there, but he's not going to be permitted to play on the college hockey team. Bear in mind, by the way, that every team in the National Hockey League, including the Coyotes, knew of the charges against Miller before the draft process took place. Miller even went so far as to write a letter to each of the 31 teams acknowledging his horrible acts as a kid, that he regretted them, and he even offered letters of recommendation about his character. Many NHL teams simply just passed on the kid, but Arizona drafted him. But then, after the draft, the Coyotes president and CEO, Xavier Gutierrez, well, he investigated the case some more, and he came to the conclusion that in light of the bullying incident, and since there were racial overtones, that the organization really didn't want to be in the Mitchell Miller business. And so now, and you know, he, they basically have walked away from this kid. Here's my question to you, and again, not in any way, not in any way am I defending the kid's actions when he was a stupid teenager. But what's the next step for this youngster? In light of all this happening when he was in middle school, and I realize he's 18 now, but should he ever get a chance to play hockey in college or in the NHL? I mean, we all know that teenagers, especially young teenagers in middle school, yeah, they do disgraceful acts. We know that. one 337 6666 Let's talk about this. I mean, it's one thing if we're talking about an adult who's in, that say, their mid-20s doing something this, this horrible. But as a kid who's 14, does he get more, does he deserve more of a second chance, particularly since he's, he, he was sentenced by the courts to do community service and go through counseling? Or is this just one of those, those rare cases where we're looking at this as a really just a, a severe cautionary tale for young athletes? What do you think? By the way, I should add, too, that, the, uh, that Gutierrez, the, uh, the CEO of the Coyotes, he reached out to the kid who was victimized and to his family to profusely apologize for having drafted Miller. Family apparently was appreciative of that and also noted that the Coyotes had never reached out to them before the draft. Uh, the family was also added that Miller, the kid, never apologized to the victim in person. Again, the whole thing is very, very sad, but I want to get your thoughts about this. Let's, let's start our conversation about this morning. Let's go with, uh, with Hall of Fame coach Jack Smithlin. Jack, good morning. How are you, Rick? I'm well. Now, Jack, I, I know... You know, you must have strong feelings about this after your, you know, 40 years of, of, of working with kids in school and being a coach. This is an unusual set of circumstances. I know you're a hockey fan. Tell me, tell me, what do you think about what, 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 what should be the right approach on something like this? Well, first of all, I think that, you know, the Coyotes felt a little guilty in what they did because of all the other teams backing away from this, from this kid. And the one thing we have to remember is he's still a kid. 
But, you know, is there in researching, you know, is there a history? Was this just a one time incident or is there a history of this kid acting out like this? You know, because a lot of this could be peer pressure, too. A lot of it could be homegrown. It really could. And, you know, there, there's no place in sports. There's no place in society for people like this at all. And, you know, the Coyotes did the right thing by backing away, but they did the wrong thing by ever drafting him in the first place. You know, does he deserve a second chance? You know, first of all, for the punishment that he was hit with from the school board and and the school society, that's pretty deep. I mean, it has to be a really tough, bad situation and maybe a history of it, you know, happening over and over again for it to get that far. You know, I've been in teaching, like I said, I taught for over 40 years and I taught, you know, I taught um, in, in a learning disabled school and a school for the handicapped for many, many years, for mm-hmm. over 30 years. And, you know, and I and, and I worked with, you know, I've worked with students uh, of the same type of student that was victimized by this kid. Um, you know, he's young. His, his like, you know, knowing science, knowing health, his prefrontal lobe isn't developed yet, so mm-hmm. he doesn't think before he acts. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've always talked about that. Um, he does deserve a second chance, but he needs to be put in some type of, uh, of some, some type of program. Um, I don't like to say anger management because it's really not anger. It's just a behavioral problem. And he needs to actually, you know, see and, and get help because if this is something that's occurred many, many times or a few times even, like I said, it, it, it doesn't sound like a peer pressure situation. It sounds like something that, you know, he's been he's been doing or acting out for many, many years. But, you know, he does he's a kid. He does need a second chance, you know. But and is the penalty well, of not being drafted listen, we pay for you know, people that act out, we have to pay for our consequences. We have to deal with the things that we do. We are responsible for our actions. You know, and I, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's, as I said before, that's why I drew a distinction uh, with the fact that if a guy's in his mid 20s and, and, and pulls some stunt like this, okay, you're accountable. Oh. You knew what you were doing was right. wrong. It's a little right. different when the kid is 13 or 14. Now, I, I try to do a lot of research online. And again, because the kid was 14 when this happened, um, right. there's not much online about what, what, what really went down. However, does what I can glean, Jack, is the fact the kid did have a history of bullying this kid, um, and and the kid who was the victim has spoken well, up and, and said, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I was, um, I was really hurt by all this, uh, and I think that has played a role in why the imagine. coyotes, you know, so it, it's I, hard. I can I can I can imagine it's it's a situation that really needs to be dealt with. But here's the problem: hockey could have not hockey could choose not to back away from this kid if they're very serious about his playing ability but to put him into the nhl now and to draft him is the wrong thing to do but the good thing to do was something that they should do is continue with this kid if they're interested in him and see about maybe getting him help or putting him or 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 putting him in the right direction because you know too many of these kids are let go too many of these kids are not not dealt with in the proper way, and they wind up becoming very bad people in the future. Yeah, that's and, that's you know, that, that's going that pathway. So the kid, okay. So right now the kid is not playing hockey anywhere. He's not. He can go. To, right. He can go to college, but obviously his whole world runs around hockey. So if he's being told no, forget your dreams of the NHL, forget uh, you know playing in college mm-hmm. at a D one program. 
then what happens to this kid? Now does it go off the deep end and things get even worse? And that, that is just a human concern that uh, this may really begin to spiral out of control. I just wish there well, was he- some way that, that, that somebody somewhere, either with the Coyotes or the NHL or somebody said, let's, let's right. work through this, you know? This kid needs support right now. He really needs support. And, you know, and, and you know what? Sometimes kids like this, sometimes that, that this is an innate type of thing, don't deal with the support the right way. They don't, you know, they don't take that, that support and that possible education that they might get and use it the right way. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a tricky situation, but I think, you know, I think the Coyotes, like I said before, I think they felt a little guilty in, in drafting this kid well, when everybody else bypassed them. No, and, no question. They had to realize and that's, and but, I, uh, I, I do think that the, the CEO did the right thing to say, okay, we're going to step up and try to correct what we think was a, a misstep in judgment. Jack, I got to run. Thank you as always for your nope. thoughts. You know, I appreciate You're it. You're more than welcome, Rick. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Jack. Uh, you know, and, and I will tell you, I, I'm not in any way trying to minimize the hurt and the pain that the victim suffered because he was, this kid really went through a hell to, to, to deal with the tort, the, the, the taunts and, and uh, the heartache and the, and the abuse that this hockey player, Mitchell Miller, put this kid through. Not trying to minimize that. He obviously was a pure victim. Uh, I'm just trying to figure out if there's a way to help this kid out to, to get to the next part of his life, this kid Miller, uh, if he still wants to play hockey. Let's go to, uh, to Eric out in Los Angeles. Good morning, Eric. You're on the fan. Good morning. I just want to... Um kind of agree with the last caller, Jack, but I will go ahead and um, say a couple of things first. First of all, I'm visually impaired. Okay. And that really, really disgusts me that this guy would go ahead and bully someone who is African American. Mm-hmm. I am also African American. Mm-hmm. And so this really, really hits home with me that <clears throat> people would go so far as to bully someone and do things that are terrible. Now, um, I would highly recommend, before he even hits the ice, he takes some immediate anger management courses as to how to deal with someone and learn from these type of things. Because I'm 46 years old, okay? I have been bullied most of my life. I have been told that I can't do this and I can't do that. And I've learned from these type of things that all these people, all they want to do is just say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And I have been able to tell my story everywhere I've gone about my unwanted testimony. Now, with regard to this kid being 18 years old, he's very, very lucky that he probably would have not ended up in prison instead of on a ice hockey rink right now. Because as an ice hockey fan, I take that very, very seriously. Well, Eric, let me just point out, so, um, you know, he's not playing yeah. hockey right now. He's not. Unless he's playing in a local league back home in Ohio, but he's been, uh, not only, as I said, he, he's not playing pro hockey with the NHL. He's not playing in college. He's nowhere right now with his hockey dream. So, and again, he is 18, and everybody agrees that he needs to, hopefully, he's still getting more counseling. But the drift I'm getting from the accounts I've read is that, well, I, he went through counseling after the incident four years ago, and now he's been considered, he's paid his price, so to speak. 
Uh, it is a problem. And, and Eric, I thank you for the call this morning. I, unfortunately, I, I'm up against a break, but thank you for your thoughts. And uh, I think you put this in proper perspective uh, for, for in terms of the victim on all this. Eric, thank you. Friends, let me take a time out. I do want to get more calls, get your thoughts and comments about the situation with uh, regarding this hockey player, Mitchell Miller, with the uh, Coyotes and why they renounced their draft choice of him. one 337 We're talking this morning about this really perplexing case of uh, this kid, 18-year-old hockey player, uh, Mitchell Miller, who was drafted in the fourth round by uh, the Arizona Coyotes who then, uh, uh, not long after, decided to renounce that draft choice because there was a history of this kid back in middle school when he was a bully uh, on a classmate who was um, developmentally disabled and also African-American. Um, the kid was, uh, Mitchell Miller, was charged with two, two misdemeanors, uh, for, one for assault and one for bullying. Uh, he was sentenced uh, to community service. He had to go through counseling and write an apology. He did all that. And the question is, like, well, the first thing I think we should say is that it's pretty obvious that the, the Coyotes really should have never have drafted this kid because obviously they put themselves in a very awkward situation. But beyond that, the question now is, what do you do with this youngster? He's, he, he was uh, offered a scholarship to play at the University of North Dakota. That's been rescinded as well. Uh, so he's 18 years old back in Ohio, probably thinking, now what do I do? Yes, there's no question as sports parents, as coaches, educators, we always want to make sure the kids understand we're not kidding. you got to be held accountable. you got to do the right thing in your life. Because obviously, if you don't, you know, things come back to haunt you and can get in the way of your, of your dreams. And again, in no way am I trying to justify or rationalize these kids' actions. But again, we live in a compassionate society. The kid was 14 when he did these horrible things. The question is, is that it for him? Is he done with his hockey? I just don't know. Let's continue with our calls. One eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jim over in Union Beach. Hey Jim, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, Jim. What do you think about what do you do with a kid like this? I mean, you know, I, I, I think it's 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 really a reflection of a lot of things that are going on in society right now, which I'm not condoning and I don't know the specific details of what this this individual did when at the age of 14. Um, but I mean, look like, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, right. When, when he was going through the nomination process, um, you know, acts regarding what happened in high school and college were brought up. Yes. Um, we, we live in a society where, um, you know, individuals are rewriting history with, you know, destroying statues and, 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 and looting and, and rioting. Um, so I, I, I think, again, and it's like I said, I don't know the details of what happened. He's a kid. Our society treats someone that age, particularly in this instance, as a children, right? You don't send them to adult court. Um, you know, scientifically, we, we, your prior caller said the brain isn't anywhere nearly developed. And I think we we kind of, you know, hope that through, you know, an intervention at that young age that, you know, the individual can write himself. But I, again, I, I just think it's, it's, it's kind of absurd um, to condemn this kid for the rest of his life. I get why Phoenix did it because they didn't want the backlash. But I mean, we've just, I think we've just gone where, you know, 
done crazy. We've gone just way too far with this this righteousness and um, you know, like I said, rewriting history and punishing. It's it just I don't... well. I mean, this is probably not a good analogy, but uh, you know, Alex Cora. Uh, who was involved, implicated with, with the cheating scandal in Houston with the Astros, uh, and then obviously uh, the, the Red Sox, and he parted ways last year, and now he's back managing the Red Sox again. Uh, A.J. Yeah. Hinch was now, is now going to manage the Tigers. Well, I mean, so we, we live in a forgiving society, and, and those guys, Cora and Hinch, you know, sat out of baseball for a year, as there was mandated, but came right back, and it's going to be, you know, back to normal. I'm not trying to draw a parallel between what they did cheating as opposed to bullying a kid, but, you know, wh- what happens? To, what do we do with this kid? Do we just say, well, you should have you been smarter when you were 14? And he's going to say, but I, I, I was stupid, and I went through all the, the court-mandated counseling and this and that. You know, but so what happens now? I mean, it's, I, I would have thought that maybe Arizona might have said, well, we're going to, you know, put, we'll, we'll keep you on a very, very short leash and we're going to have you do all sorts of uh, more counseling and, and do more community outreach. I, I just don't know. Maybe they felt that there were racial overtones because the kid he victimized happens to be African-American. It's very, very odd. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, when I, I, I'm 47 and when I was in, um, elementary school, middle school, and high school kids were bullied. And of you course. look back on, you look back on it, and you say, you know, white, black, brown, purple, Asian. It's 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 sadly what children do. And I'm not saying it's right, but they're children. I don't care if you're 12, 13, or 14. You simply can't condemn someone for their life based on actions of when they were a child. And I think, like I said. It's gotten to the point in our society, in this, you know, PC culture, you know, this revisionist culture where, again, we want to walk away from statues of, uh, you know, people who, you know, have a legacy in the history of the United States. And um, I mean, we're, 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 I think we've just kind of gone off the deep end as a society. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, and the problem is, and, and Jim, thank thank you for your, your call this morning and your thoughts. It's uh, most appreciated. Yeah, we, we have to sort of reassess and recalibrate where we are, particularly when it comes to our young people, because as Jim says, you know, we, we're these... It's one thing if you're doing this stuff when you're a full-grown adult and your brain is fully formed and you know you're going to be held accountable. But there's a reason why that all, every state in this country has juvenile courts, because we realize that teenagers in particular are not fully functional yet as full-grown, mature adults. And there are different rules because we feel that kids do deserve a second chance. The question is now we have the situation with this hockey player. What do you do next? Let's move on. Let's go to... Uh, Vernon in Manhattan. Vernon, good morning. You have about a minute. Go, my friend. Uh, good morning. How are you doing? Do good. It How are you? Quick. Okay. Yeah. Bullying is bullying. It makes no difference if it's white or black. Um, the thing is, with this particular individual, basically I would not pull him uh, into the pro sports. One thing I think was missed regarding this, hockey is known for fighting. And who knows if he ends up going into pro hockey gets into a fight is like the rock, regular thing of, of, of hockey. And this could stir up and bring things up in the past and cause him to be more aggressive. So this is a very aggressive sport. So for me personally, no. 
I would not bring him in. That's my thought for the day, and have a nice day. Well, Verna, thank you for that, and I'm glad you did mention that. Yes, of course, hockey is well known for its uh, fisticuffs. Uh, fortunately, they've tried to sort of tone that down in recent years. But clearly that is uh, part and parcel of the sport, and uh, he's a defenseman, and, and he's a big, sturdy kid. And obviously there is a concern, I'm sure, that how are we going to have this kid play professional hockey when in fact he's going to be surrounded in a very violent kind of world, which may lead back into what he did when he was a, a young 14-year-old. It is a very tricky situation, um, and, and again, I, I don't have a solution for this. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to our colleague, uh, law professor Doug Abrams, uh, who's a specialist in juvenile law and obviously he's a longtime hockey coach. Ask him what he thinks about all this and what's the right approach on this. Uh, because I am curious as to what the next step might be for this uh, Mitchell Miller and his hockey career if there is a next step. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. Don't forget the NFL preview is up next. You can always follow me on Twitter at hashtag AskCoachWolf. And you can check out my thoughts and comments on my website at AskCoachWolf.com. My thanks this morning to Connor Green. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.